Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, my name is John Campia, and uh, you guys know because of yesterday's Ask Me Anything podcast that I am actually on the road right now. I'm not at home. Ann and I and our friend Kaori, we decided to come out to Las Vegas for the weekend to kind of decompress and relax because we've had a really busy couple of weeks, so we all thought it would be good for us to do that. And uh, I put up on the community tab saying, hey guys, while I'm in Vegas, I'm gonna have some time in the afternoon, so I'm gonna do an Ask Me Anything. If you guys have anything you really wanna know about, um, now's the chance to send it on in and ask. And we put one up yesterday, and the feedback on yesterday's has been great. So apparently you guys really liked that yesterday. So I said we were gonna try to follow up and do another one today, and that's what we're gonna do. So we're gonna keep going through the questions. Now, just so you know, if you did send in a question on that community tab, there is a chance it's not going to get answered. Like just, I, there are hundreds of questions came in. I clearly don't have enough time to get around to all of them, but I'm going to get through as many as I can. So with that down, let's get to the first one here today. This one comes to us from 202X Uptown Legend who writes, Hey John, why do you turn off the live chat when you upload the show? All right, thanks a lot for writing that in. Now, just so you know, I don't upload the show. When we do the show live, and we do do the show live every morning, we're streaming live to YouTube. And then once the stream is done, it then turns into VOD. Like we don't then later upload it again. You know what I'm saying? So it's already there. Now, what I do is turn off the live chat board. So if you're watching one of our shows live, there is a live chat board where you and everybody else who's watching the show live at the same time can interact and chat. And then normally, if you just leave it alone, that live chat board is no longer live, but it will show you the recorded conversations that everybody had. Now, I made a decision a while ago to turn that off. Like after the live show is done, I go into YouTube and I turn off that live chat feature so you can't read the conversations that happened as the show was doing live. And I did that for two reasons. Reason number one, and this is the most important one, is that I believe that is for the live audience. You know what I mean? I think it's one of those things where it is for people to interact with each other. And since the live show is now done and there's no more interaction that can happen, I don't want it to become a spectator thing. You know what I mean? So I decided that I wanted to make the live chat a part, one of the unique features to actually watching the show live. Because, you know, if you're just watching the recording of it, you can't interact with anybody who's in that live chat because that happened hours ago. You know what I'm saying? So. I decided instead of just leaving it up in replay format that I wanted to maintain the uniqueness of it, of an experience you have actually watching live and being able to interact with all the different people watching live. So that's the first reason. The second reason, not as important, but still a significant one, is that it's harder for us to moderate the live chat board. And so a lot of stuff will get through that we don't catch because we're busy paying attention to, you know, doing the show. And we won't always catch everything that gets put through on the live chat. And so instead of allowing, you know, trolls and whatever, a safe haven to just, you know, post whatever they want in there, we just figure it's safer that after the live show is done, just turn off the live chat so it's done. So number one, we turn it off because I want to keep it as a unique experience for actually a tool for actually interacting with each other, which you can only do when the show is live. And then the other one too is for moderation's sake. Like we can't go through and closely moderate all the stuff in the live chat. So it's just safer for us to turn that off. All right, thanks a lot for asking, man. That's a good question. All right, this one comes to us from Hamza Hussein, who writes, out of all the celebs that you've met or bumped into, who would you, who were you the most starstruck by? All right, thanks a lot for writing that in. Yeah, I've 
I've met just about everybody I've wanted to meet. The only person I haven't met that I've always wanted to meet is Steven Spielberg. Now, I've met his mother, but I never, before she passed away, I met Steven Spielberg's mom. Uh, I ate in her restaurant. Anyway, that's another story for another time. But I've always wanted to meet Steven Spielberg and I haven't had a chance to meet him. So that's the one guy that I haven't had a chance to meet. But out of all the ones that I have met, the one I was easily the most starstruck by, and I have interviewed him three, I want to say three times now, and it never, it never gets, uh, loses its potency. I am always dumbfounded and starstruck, and that's Harrison Ford. And now I'm sure there's a part of that that's because, hey, you know, he is one of the biggest movie stars in the world, and, you know, he's Indiana Jones and all. Yeah, that's a big part of it, but it's Han Solo. I mean, it's Han Solo and it's Indiana Jones, all rolled in one. The first time I met Harrison Ford, I was in San Diego covering the red carpet fan premiere of Cowboys and Aliens that he did with Daniel Craig. And John Favreau was, I think, I think Favreau was the director of that. At any rate, not a very good movie. <laughs> not a very good movie at all, as a matter of fact. But I remember I was one of the lucky guys to be on the red carpet and Harrison Ford came down for me to interview. And I could barely get my words out. Like, I, I think maybe on the surface, maybe it looked like I held it together. It's like, oh yeah, well, Mr. Ford, you know, uh, you know, what is it about, you know, whatever. But inside I was trembling and shaking and all that kind of stuff. And I don't get starstruck by celebrities. Like even when I met like say Nicole Kidman, who if I'm going to get starstruck by many people, it'll probably be her. It's very, very rare. But Harrison Ford, yeah, that one I get totally starstruck by. <laughs> Good question. All right, this next one comes to us from Dave Goal, who writes, any tips on growing your YouTube channel? Do you care about the YouTube algorithm or do you think that making good content is all that's needed? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, Dave. And, you know, listen, uh, I'm not trying to give you a hard time, Dave, because I get asked this a ton of times. You're not alone in this, all right? So take what I'm about to say as constructive criticism, all right? Please take it as constructive. I'm not trying to bust your balls. But I... It, whenever I get people write to me or talk to me about YouTube, they never start with the right question. How do I make better YouTube content? Like they never start with that. It's always, how do I grow my channel? How do I get more viewers? How do I make more money? Like, and it's always the wrong question. It's the wrong question. The right question you should be asking is, how do I make my YouTube content better? Because at the end of the day, you know, I say this all the time to some people, and I've said this at conferences and things like that, but you don't want people coming to visit your channel if your content isn't where it needs to be yet. Because, you know, there's an old saying that goes, you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? And once you make that first impression, that's it. You never get another chance to make a first impression on somebody. So I don't know why people are eager to get new viewers to their channel if they don't have their content where it needs to be yet. Because if somebody comes and visits your channel, they're like, okay, um, this guy does a YouTube channel on, I don't know, repurposing potato chip bags into art. I'm just making stuff up. But you have crappy videos on turning potato chip bags into art. Well, guess what? You, that person came to your channel, but they're probably not gonna come back. If a viewer comes to your channel, doesn't have a good experience, they're probably not going to come back. Now, I know, I know, I know. Everybody thinks their content is great. But John, you don't understand. My content's already really good. Really? Is it? Because I'll tell you what, it took me years before I thought my content was good. I am still to this day constantly trying to figure out how to make my content better. 
And and that's the thing. So I, and again, Dave, I'm not trying to bust your balls. This is from the same from everybody. But everybody always starts the question: How do I grow my channel? You're asking the wrong question. It should be: How do I make my content better? That's what you should be focusing on. Focus on your content because even if you get a thousand new viewers tomorrow, if your content is not up to scratch, those thousand viewers are not going to become subscribers and they're certainly not going to come back to your channel and they're absolutely not going to recommend other people to go to your channel. So work on your content, work on your content, always focus on that. I will tell you right now, I have never once done anything to try to grow my channel other than trying to make my content better. That's the only thing I've ever done. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't other techniques, there aren't other, you know, principles, there aren't other, you know, processes that you can't do to try to encourage the growth of new people coming to your channel. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying for me, the only thing I have ever cared about is making my content as good as it can. I've never bought ads. I've never done link swaps. I don't do collabs. That's the new big thing on YouTube, right? Do a collab like you and somebody else so you can cross-pollinate your audience. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not crap talking on that. I'm simply saying I've never done it, right? Because I believe in, you know, kind of like a field of dreams way. If you build it, they will come. If you make great content, you will find your audience. I mean, even then, there's still a little bit of a luck factor because there's there's millions and millions and millions of YouTube creators making videos. But absolutely, just focus on your content. Make your content better. Don't worry about growing. Worry about improving. As you improve, growth will come. And if you're not growing at all and you think your quality is really good, it might be time for you to reassess how good your quality actually is. And when I say quality, I don't mean... How expensive of a camera do you have or how expensive of a mic do you have or anything like that? Listen, I used to do AMC mailbag with a $75 Logitech C920 uh, webcam. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's like now I use a $1,000 camera. Now I use like the Sony Alpha series, but, but that's fine. But when I'm talking about quality, I'm talking about the quality of the content. Focus on that. Now, as far as your other question about do I ever worry about the YouTube algorithm? I do not. I don't. Now, that's not to say there isn't value and advantages to trying to take advantage of the YouTube algorithm. There is. I know another YouTuber right now, as a matter of fact, and I'm not going to name names, but was doing their YouTube videos about one thing, was not having any real success, and then they started paying attention to algorithm. What are the hot keywords right now? What works? Now, Right now, this person, again, I'm not going to name names. They're not doing content that is at all what they're actually passionate about or excited about. They're just trying to treat YouTube as a business and they're just trying to get as many views as they can. So they're now covering these really hot TMZ subjects and just making video after video of these things they totally don't care about, but it's what everybody's searching for. So they're doing all these videos and all these hot TMZ sort of things. And guess what? They're having some success. They're having some success. And so... I'm certainly not saying, with the fact that I don't pay attention to YouTube algorithm or anything like that, I'm not saying that there's not benefit to doing it. There absolutely is. There can be. But for me, whether it was my solo stuff with the movie blog, with, you know, AMC, with Collider, with the John Campia show, I really don't pay attention to that stuff. I only ever pay attention to, am I making the best quality content that I can? 
And if we have time and energy and resources to improve on something, I want to spend all that time, energy, and resources to improve the content, not to figure out how we can better tap into the YouTube algorithm. So anyway, that's just me. So again, Dave, I'm not trying to bust your balls. It's a very common question I get asked, and I appreciate you for asking it, man. Okay, next up, uh, Mahai uh, Christian writes, what is Hollywood's plan to integrate trans representation in movies and TV shows? And what if there will be a, a backlash from the transphobic public for trans women representing biological women? I'm asking this thinking about the backlash faced when biological women represented trans women in movies and TV. I'm trans and all in for peace and equality, but we have to recognize that this world is far from perfect. All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, Mihai. And oh boy, yeah, you're not handing me any kind of a hand grenade to possibly <laughs> to get myself in trouble with. Look, I appreciate you writing the question. There's a couple things I want to address here first. The first thing is uh, the point you, the thing you pointed out about, is there going to be backlash when, when if a trans woman is hired in a role to portray a, uh, I can't remember what the term for it is, but but as you're putting it, a biological, a biologically born woman, is there going to be backlash for that? Because as you've recognized and as you pointed out in your message, there has been backlash when a biologically born woman is playing a trans woman in a movie, right? Here is my philosophy on that in general. I don't care. Actors to me are performers who portray things they are not. That's what an actor is. An actor is somebody who portrays something that they are not. You know, when a movie is being made, and this is the example I often use, when a movie is being made about you know, World War II and they need an actor to play Adolf Hitler, I don't believe that it's important for the studio making the movie to go out and find an actual neo-Nazi to portray Hitler. You know, I don't know. You go get an actor to pretend that they are something that they are not. When casting Thanos in the MCU, I don't think it's important that Marvel go out and try to find an actual alien somewhere because, you know, Thanos is an alien. No, they hired Josh Brolin because he's an actor who is playing something that he is not in real life. That's what actors do. So to anybody that would give, say, quote unquote, backlash to a trans actress playing a biological woman's role, I would simply say, grow the hell up. That trans actress is a performer portraying something that they are not. Just like when, you know, uh, an actor in a TV show about a circus is portraying a clown. Well, that person's not a real clown in real life. So what? They're portraying something that they are not in real life. And so I would dismiss anybody who would give quote unquote backlash to a trans actress getting a uh, by, oh, you know, is it cis? Is that the word? You got to forgive me. I'm behind on my verbiage. I think it's cisgendered. I think that's the term. Anyway, I would dismiss anybody who criticizes a trans woman playing a cisgendered woman role. That's ridiculous. Just as, to be fair, I believe it is ridiculous to give backlash to a cisgendered woman playing a trans woman in a movie. I think both sides, I think both of those are ridiculous. I, I just do. 
Actors are performers who play things they are not. So that's kind of my thing on that. So yeah, if there is backlash on that, Mihai, I would ignore it. I would completely ignore it because I'll tell you what, the studios ignore it too, or at least they should. Now, to the first part of your question though, and, and this is interesting because you asked the question, what is Hollywood's plan to integrate trans representation? All right, there's a couple of things I want to say here, and I'm sure one of or both of these things I'm going to say are probably not very popular. But it is what you're asking me my opinion, so I'm just going to give you my opinion. And these are opinions of mine that I currently hold, but I could totally change over time if presented with the right counterarguments. But right now, here's my thoughts on this. Number one, there is no such thing as Hollywood. All right, when you ask, what is Hollywood's plan? I would ask you, who is Hollywood? Movies are not made by one giant secret cabal organization known as Hollywood. There, Hollywood is an industry. And within that industry are a whole bunch of individual players, individual studios, individual executives in those studios, individual producers who work for those studios and other studios, individual writers and directors who work for all of them. It is not one big giant collective Borg mind. As much as some, you know, certain people out there try to present Hollywood as a, some secret cabal that all work in cahoots with each other. <laughs> no, that's just not what it is. So when you ask, what is Hollywood's plan? I would say to you, there is no such thing as Hollywood. There's a bunch of individual studios with individual executives and individual producers and individual directors, and they're all doing their own thing. Hollywood does not have a plan to integrate trans representation into movies. I would also say this. The entertainment industry, in particular to this specific circumstance, the movie industry, is not a social entity. It's not a social entity. It isn't a branch of the government. It isn't a, a community body. It is as individual and uh, business what's the word I'm looking for? Capitalistic business and industry as gene manufacturers, as shoe manufacturers, as restaurants, as car manufacturers. They are a for-profit capitalistic business. They are not a social trust. And people look at me sideways when I say Hollywood has no moral responsibility to anybody. Now, I'm not saying that means we shouldn't criticize studios and whatnot for doing, you know, amoral things. But what I am saying is that these companies, while we all watch movies, they are not public trust. They are individuals, for-profit, capitalistic businesses. Just as nobody would ask Ford saying, hey, where's the Italian representation in your new F-150? They'll tell me to get out of the office because they're there to make trucks and to sell trucks and to make money. Now, my argument has always been when it comes to, like, say, uh, um, uh, ethnicity disparity, gender disparity, uh, gay disparity, things like that in movies, I have always sung the same song for years, which is this. I don't believe Hollywood has any ethical or moral responsibility to include that stuff. They're a business and they're going to do what they believe they need to do to make money. However, I've always said this, like going all the way back to my movie blog days, you can probably still find articles that I wrote on this on the movie blog, and I still believe it today. And I believe we have now found out that it's true, that once the studios start to realize there is money to be made, 
in having homosexual representation, in having uh, a more equalized female representation, gender gender equality, as they start realizing having more ethnic uh, uh, ethnically diverse projects and movie things, once they see there is money to be made, they're going to lead the charge themselves. Hollywood doesn't have to be talked into getting better at representation. They just simply need the public to show them that if they do invest money in that sort of product, that enough people in the public will support it, that it makes them money. I mean, the biggest thing in the world, I mean, do not underestimate how huge Black Panther is. I mean, that changed a lot of the conversation in Hollywood. You know, as we see more and more of these movies roll out over the years and we see them be successful, then we see once these projects are successful, we start to see more get made. And so in a market that is always looking for something to be new and unique and different and appeal to different targets in the market, there are going to be studios that try to include more uh, uh, trans material. They will. The question will then be, will enough people support that material to justify the studios in investing more in it? That's going to be the key. It's not the studio's job to make content that they lose money on. They're not a public trust. They're not a charity. They are a for-profit business. And when we, as the public, show them that there's money to be made by making that content, when they do make little bits of that content that we get enough people to support it, it's not something you're going to have to talk them into. They will be anxious to make more of it. They will be excited to make more of it because they're excited to make money. You know, in the words of Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, the great Michael Douglas, who said, greed is good, greed works. And sometimes that saying is true. And I think the ultimate tool in the belts of the gay community, the, you know, the, the more uh, ethnically diverse communities, the, the gender issue, Nothing has been the bigger ally, I think, to those than greed. Because as soon as the studios see there's money to be made, if they see if we make little bits of this content, enough people in the market will support it and we will make money on this, they will make more of it. That is, so ultimately, really, it's not even the studios you got to convince. It's the public you got to convince to get out and watch and support that stuff once the studios start dipping their toes into a little bit. Like even CW, they have a prominent, um, I don't watch Supergirl, granted, but I was made aware they have a, they, in the last couple of seasons, they had a very prominent trans character in Supergirl. All right. Are people supporting that? Are people getting behind that? Are the studios seeing people getting behind it? And if they do, then the simple human nature of greed will motivate them to want to make more of it. And honestly, I think that's the number one thing. But again, people look at me weird when I say uh, it is not movies studios' responsibility to be our moral compass. It is not a movie studio's responsibility to be inclusive. It is not a movie studio's responsibility to be not inclusive. It's not a movie's movie studio's responsibility to do any of that stuff. They're a business, just like Ford just makes cars and wants people to buy them. These people make content and they want us to buy it. And if we buy that content, they will make more of the content. Now, again, 
this is my opinion on this right now. I, I could have my mind changed. I'm not willing to die on that hill. I just that's kind of what I think right now. But uh, I think it's a really, really deep talk at uh, Mihai. And I think it's a great one for you to bring up. And that's just kind of my take on it right now. Thank you for asking that, man. Interesting question. Okay, next up, we got Daniel Ortiz who writes, Hey, John, quick and easy question. I like those. Uh, what would you rather have? Mad Max 2 with George Miller or A Man of Steel 2 with Snyder still involved somehow? Thanks for all your hard your hard work. We, the audience, appreciate it and bring on to filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Daniel. Oh, this is an easy question. Listen, I like Mad Max. And I'm, su I'm assuming you mean Mad Max Fury Road. I'm, I'm assuming you mean Ma Mad Max Fury Road 2 because there already is a Mad Max 2. I like Mad Max Fury Road. I like it very much. I don't like it... It's not on the level of an of a near religious experience for me like it is for some people, but I think it's very good. I like the movie a lot. I've seen it a number of times. I like it very, very much. But no question, Man of Steel 2, directed by Zack Snyder. Um, may, you guys know, I mean, this is no secret. Man of Steel, to me, is the most underrated comic book film ever made in the history of comic book films. No other comic book film has ever been as underrated as Man of Steel. I think it's one of the great comic book movies. And I like it more and more every time I see it. I actually made like an entire like 40 minute video uh, running down, going through scene by scene and and why each scene is so freaking brilliant. Like I love this movie. Um, so yeah, simple, simple answer for me, man. If I had to choose between Mad Max Fury Road 2, which which I would very much like to see, although they are doing a Furiosa spinoff, but uh, that or a Man of Steel 2? Oh, no question, man. Easiest question of the day, Man of Steel 2. Okay, uh, this next one comes to us from Flash Wilson, who writes, Hello, John. I've been a fan for some years now, and I thoroughly enjoy watching and listening to your shows. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I am from Australia. Nice. And would like to know if you might be interested in this idea. Would it be possible to invite fans the opportunity to join your show from time to time, like a Zoom meeting? Fans from around the world can join in your show, either online or by phone. All right, thanks for writing that in, Flash. Now, it's funny. This is a question that I have been asked many times over the years, even going all the way back to AMC, about the idea of bringing a fan. Like, hey, you know, today it's uh, me, John Schnepp, Christian Harloff, and joining us from St. Louis, Eddie Ratch. Uh, one of our fans is joining us. So he's going to be our fourth panelist today, blah, 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 right? So here's the thing. I remember, and I've talked about this before, at one point ESPN, one of the shows on ESPN, this is years ago, tried that for me a little bit. And what they figured out was this. While there are fans who would love to be on the show, fans are not interested in seeing other fans on the show. Let me repeat that. While a lot of fans would love to be on the show, not many fans are interested in watching a fan on the show. They didn't tune in to watch SportsCenter to see Gus from St. Louis. They tuned in to watch, you know, their regulars that they tune in to watch. And that's why all the way back in the AMC days when people asked about that, I said, no, no, I did experiment with something once where I gave people the opportunity instead of writing in a question, they could video themselves asking a question and then we could play back those video tips or those video questions 
of those people asking questions. We had some success with that, although it just became too labor intensive to really make it work because it ended up, a lot of people don't want to send in videos of themselves. So we just ended up getting the same people like sending them in all the time. And so there's no point in doing that. But yeah, the basic thing is this. No, I, I will not bring fans on the show. Not because I have any aversion to talking to our fans. Obviously I don't, but because I don't believe the fans want to see other fans. Like when people tune in to watch the John Campia show, duh, they're tuning in to watch John Campia and whatever my regular rotation of cohort cohorts are. Um, they're not tuning in to watch Gus from St. Louis. So, I mean, I know that sounds like almost snobby. Like I know that sounds almost snobby, but we have found it is true. ESPN found it was true. And whenever I've brought it up, I usually get a ton of comments from people saying, yeah, I'm not interested in seeing randos pop up on your show. I want to see you, your friends, the people you know that are in the industry, whatever. Those are the people I want to see. I don't want to see whatever. So no, I appreciate the question. You're not the first one to ask, man. Again, this is something I've been asked for a lot of years, but no, I, I don't have any plans of bringing fans on the show. Maybe at some point I might try redoing that one thing we did where people could send in a video of themselves asking a question and we could play those videos. But again, we had some problems with that the last time, but who knows, maybe we'll give it another shot. Okay, this one comes to us from Victor Rosario Fermaint, who writes, what were the mic and the rectangle shaped light you took to Vegas with Aaron? Uh, the image and sound were great. All right, thanks a lot. So yeah, so a little while ago, a couple of months ago, me and Aaron Cummings, uh, and of course, again, congratulations to Aaron and Tom for the arrival of little baby Degnan. Um, and Degnan is the last name. I'm not telling the baby's first name. I'll let Aaron share the baby's first name. That's not my place to reveal. But anyway, Aaron and I came to Las Vegas for CinemaCon. And we did nightly videos uh, live. We did nightly live streams. But obviously, we couldn't bring my entire studio set up. So all we used was, okay, here's what we used. We used my MacBook Air, my M1 MacBook Air. We used a blue Yeti microphone. And then we used a, um, a uh, Elgato face cam, a brand new webcam that just came on the market by Elgato. It's called the Elgato face cam. It's simply the best webcam I've ever seen. It's stunning. I mean, it's not as good as my $1,000 Sony A-series camera, but it's for a, for a $200 webcam, it's crazy good. And it's small. You just plug it into a USB port and away you go. And so we use that as our camera. And I brought one of my studio lights. It's called a Nanlite. N-A-N-L-I-T-E, N-A-N-L-I-T-E, called the Nanlite. Now, they're a little expensive, but the quality of the light is so good. And so while it didn't look like we were in the studio, but it was really great because we just sat down in my hotel room, plugged in the webcam, plugged in the mic, turned on the light, and did our live stream. So it wasn't exactly studio quality, but that equipment made it pretty easy. So again, it is the Elgato Facecam webcam, it is the, the Blue Yeti microphone, and it is the Nanlite LED light. So uh, check those out, and, and if you use them, I hope you have some success with them, man. Thanks for asking. Okay, this one comes to us from Dr. Nova, who writes, Would you suggest new YouTubers to specialize in something? Instead of covering movies as a whole, they cover something they can specialize in. Uh, that has the advantage of being known by that smaller audience and less people are doing it. All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, Dr. Nova. And yup, absolutely, 100%. I think, look, when you look at YouTube today, and I am not the world's foremost expert on YouTube, but 
I, I know a little something, obviously. When you look at YouTube today, <clears throat> there are millions and millions and millions of creators. And if we're going to talk specifically about movies, everybody is trying to do their own movie YouTube channel, right? And listen, the whole reason you should be doing a YouTube channel is for fun. If you're trying to do it as a career, you have to go into an understanding that less than 0.5% of anybody's actually gonna be able to make a career out of it. You should be doing it for fun. You should be doing it for your own enjoyment. You should be doing it as a way to engage with, with the community, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and if it turns into and evolves into a career, great. But I'm just trying to be real with it. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to be real. Like 0.5% of people are actually gonna be able to make a career out of it. But especially these days where if you look across the spectrum, what are the big movie YouTube channels? There are ones that have been around for a while. If you look at tech, what are the big channels? I mean, when's the last time a brand new, big, like big, like a, a brand new YouTube channel all of a sudden made it really, really big? Like Lou Later's been around for a while. Like Unbox Therapy has been around for a while. MKBHD has been around for a long time. Um, hell, even you look over at Leo Laporte and, and the Twit Network, that's been around a long time. Uh, Mr. Who's the Boss has been doing it for a long time. It's difficult to try to get in there and crack into that space because there's already such established stuff there. And thousands of new people are creating thousands of new YouTube channels every single day to talk about the exact same tech issues that MKBHD is talking about, right? I think you've nailed it on the head. I think the key there is, is finding a specific niche of it. Right here, here's a great example, and this is years ago. But my buddy Todd, Todd Brown, he's actually one of the producers of the Raid movies. But my buddy Todd Brown, he used to work with me on my uh, movie blog website, and then he went off and started his own website. But that didn't talk about movies in general. They specifically talked about Asian cinema and some other international fare that nobody else was talking about, right? And he called that uh, website TwitchFilm.net. Now this is before the Twitch game streaming website existed. Twitch used to be Todd's website. It's now called something else and I can't remember. But Todd was able to gather together a really dedicated following because they were the only ones really talking about this stuff specifically. You know what I mean? And there's something there about that. So you can go very general in specificity, like if you're, okay, you don't want to just do a tech YouTube channel. You want to focus specifically on phones. Okay, that's a good start. But then there will be some people that just want to specifically focus on Apple phones or Samsung phones or Huawei phones or LG phones before they kick the bucket. You know what I mean? They get very specific on that. And then you can get even more specific. Then not only are you being more specific about tech, more specific than just phones, my entire YouTube channel is gonna be about cameras on phones. And the only thing they make YouTube videos about is specifically about cameras on phones. Now look, do you have as wide of a demographic base to draw from? No, but you could get a much more dedicated following and bigger numbers than you think. And so when somebody says to me this idea about, I wanna start a movie YouTube channel, it's like, great, if you're just doing it for fun, as which is what most of you should be doing it for, then yeah, talk about everything you want. But if you actually think you want to try this as an endeavor, get more specific. Get more specific about it. 
maybe just generally, I'm going to talk about film. I'm going to talk about animated films. Or if you even want to be more specific about that, I'm going to be a YouTube channel about Pixar animated films or DreamWorks animated films or anime or you know, Studio Ghibli or whatever. Like you get even more specific because the more specific you get, the more you will find that audience that might be more likely to go to you than going to a general movie website. You know what I'm saying? So it, it really depends. So if you want to talk about, you know, clothing, maybe talk about specific types of clothing. If you want to do something on music, talk about a specific genre of music. But yes, I think the future of YouTubing, at least for channels that are going to break through, are ones that get specific. Because you will find a specific audience and that can carry you a long, long way. So I, I think that's a great question to ask, man. And so, yes, I think you're absolutely right. Okay, this next one comes to us from Clueless Gamers, who writes, Hey, John, longtime viewer. Thank you so much, Clueless. I've been doing small YouTube stuff for years now, and I've used many different editing programs, but have not found a definitive one I like. What do you use slash recommend? Thank you. All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And listen, I've used all the major ones. Now, granted, it's been a number of years since I used Avid, and it's been a number of years since I used Final Cut Pro. But, you know, back in the beginning days when I was getting, when I was working at, uh, in production, we used Final Cut Pro, uh, liked it, used Avid, very, very different kind of editing program. Um, then I really got on Premiere for a long time. I like Premiere. I recommend Premiere. It's a great program. Tons and tons of tutorials on YouTube on how to use it and get going on it and do tips and tricks with it. It's excellent. But I started recognizing, th this is funny, a couple of years ago, when I was looking for some production assistance uh, with the John Campion show, a bunch of the resumes that got sent in to me were mentioning that they have experience editing on DaVinci Resolve. And I knew DaVinci did an editing program. They're most known for color correction. That's the thing DaVinci is most known for is color correction. They're industry standard for it. But DaVinci Resolve became this all-in-one inclusive package because like, for example, with Adobe, you have Premiere as your video editor. You have Audition as your, I'm, I'm recording this on Audition right now, as a matter of fact, but you have Audition as the uh, audio program. You have After Effects as your compositing program and so on and so forth. Whereas DaVinci Resolve, all of that is built into one program. You have your editor, you have your audio tab, you have your compositing and special effects tab, you have your color correction tab, you have all of that, it's all built into one. And here's the best thing about DaVinci Resolve, it's free. You can buy the uh, the more pro version, but for 95% of people, everything you need is in the free version. Everything you need is in the free version. And if you start finding that there's some of the more pro stuff you want, then it's like 250 bucks. It's, it's like, it's whatever. It's pretty cheap. It's actually for a professional grade video editor, it's pretty damn cheap, but the free one will do you a world of good. And as more and more people have started to adopt DaVinci Resolve, you know, that big advantage that Premiere has that there's tons of tutorials online. Well, there now there's a lot more tutorials and, and um, uh, work-throughs and things like that on DaVinci Resolve as well. And if you understand the basic principles of Adobe Premiere or of Final Cut, you will pick up DaVinci pretty good. I mean, the color correction tab and their compositing is a little complex and a little complicated. It's different. It uses nodes and things like that. But for the straight-up video editing, you'll feel very at home. If you've ever used Final Cut or iMovie or Premiere, you will feel pretty at home in DaVinci Resolve's editing tab. 
Uh, I, I picked up on it very quickly. It is a wonderful program. I actually find it to be more stable than Adobe Premiere. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, there's really no wrong answer. A lot of great YouTubers swear by, um, swear by uh, Final Cut. A lot of YouTubers swear by Premiere. A lot of YouTubers swear by DaVinci. Whatever works for you works for you. But you're asking me, so I will give you my recommendation. My recommendation is go try giving the free version of DaVinci Resolve a try. I think you'll find it's wonderful. All right, next up, we got uh, Moncol Mafia who writes, um, Hey, John, just want to ask if it's really true that Sony is going to drop No Way Home trailer number three on November 29th. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Well, look, there. just to be clear, there is nothing from the studios that say they're dropping a third Spider-Man No Way Home trailer on November 29th. I simply believe they are going to do that. I believe nine days from now, there is going to be a third trailer for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, I still think they're gonna, if Toby and Andrew are in this movie, and that's still an if, but if Toby and Andrew are in this movie, I believe they're gonna show them in that trailer because that'll sell all the tickets. Not some of the tickets, not a lot of tickets. It'll sell all the tickets. Uh, reason number two, most movies have generally three trailers. Sometimes more, but generally speaking, movies have three trailers. So I, I, that's another reason. But the biggest reason is this, is that I really believe they're gonna follow the Marvel pattern of having a trailer drop as the tickets go on sale, because that breaks the internet in a good way for the movies. You put out a new trailer that gets everybody going out of their mind, and then the trailer ends with a black screen with white four white words, tickets on sale now. It completely drives ticket sales. So to be clear, there is no definitive information from Sony that they are going to drop a third trailer on the 29th, just to be clear. So they very well may not. I simply believe they are going to. Uh, so much so that I've got a bet with Ray going on right now. So I believe they will. So if it actually happens, we'll find out. All right. Next up, uh, Buck Odie writes, how is Anne liking the Tesla so far? Is the new charging setup at your house working okay? Any weird side effects of having a giant battery plugged into your house? All right, thanks a lot for writing that inbox. So for those of you who don't know, I just bought Anne. It, I told her it'll be represent the next five Christmases and birthdays. Uh, I just bought Anne a Tesla. Now, Anne's current car, well, it's not, her, her last car was now about 12 years old, had just hit 200,000 miles, or was getting close to 200,000 miles. And you could, it was starting to have trouble starting a little bit. Like it was starting, it was just, you could tell it was laboring a bit to start and you could feel it as you were driving it. The car was getting old. And you know, if Anne's out driving, I wanna feel safe that she's safe in the car she's in. And we had decided a long time ago that the next car we buy, whether it was gonna be mine or hers, was going to be an electric car for a number of different reasons. Uh, I mean, for a lot of different reasons. There are many, many reasons to get an electric car and we were certainly big on all of those reasons. You know, environmental, the, the, the features of it, all that kind of stuff. So we were originally looking at getting her a Ford Mustang Mach-E, which is their electric car. And we, we test drove it and man, that thing was expensive though. It was really expensive, super expensive. And it didn't have nearly as much of the bells and whistles that we heard the Tesla had either. So we test drove it, we liked it, um, but it was gonna be a big song and dance to try to buy one. And so Anne never really wanted a Tesla. She thought it was too stereotypical. 
So one day after going to the Ford dealership and just having a bad experience at the Ford dealership, we said, well, you know what? There's a Tesla dealership around here. Should we just go stop in and at least look at one? And Ann was like, okay, fine. We'll go and look at one. So we did. They put us in the car, told us to take it out for a half hour. And within five minutes, Ann was in love with that Tesla. And I'm going to tell you what, the hype is real. The hype is absolutely real. The Tesla is amazing. We have a Tesla Model Y. That's the one we ended up buying. And it ended up costing us a lot less than the Mach-E would have. But I am in love with this car, man. The power in it is like nothing I've ever felt. I've never felt that kind of acceleration like ever. And we didn't even get the performance model. We got, you can either get the performance model or the long range model. I'm more concerned with long range. So we got one where you get like 320 miles per charge out of it, which is great. But even the one that isn't the performance model, you touch that accelerator and your back presses right into the, your seat. I mean, it's amazing. It is a smooth drive. And I am in love with the autopilot. Oh man, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm in love with autopilot. I'm in love with it so much. As a matter of fact, we were driving out to Vegas and the worst time to drive is when you're in like stop and go traffic on the highway. So it's like, all right, just put on autopilot. And autopilot knew when to move forward and when to stop. And it just kept me in the center of the lane and just, and I was on autopilot for like an hour. It was great. I loved it so much. And no, it's not weird plugging it into the house. So we had to get one of those special, like, you know, there's a special power outlet for like washing and drying machines. Well, we had to get one of those installed outside. So we had one of those installed outside and we plug into that and the car fully charges overnight. And it's not weird. We actually, I mean, I'll tell you what I don't miss. I don't miss going to the gas station. <laughs> I don't miss that at all. And you know what else I don't miss? I would generally spend on a round trip going, coming to Vegas and going back about 60, 70 bucks on gas. We're probably going to end up spending about $12 on uh, charging. We're probably going to end up spending about 12 bucks on charging instead of like the 60 or $70 in gas. And you know, it's just great. So I, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, I completely love the Tesla. If you ever have a chance to get one, I highly, highly recommend it. Thanks for asking about it. All right, now the last one we got here today comes to us from uh, Reno Keeves, who writes, who are your favorite YouTubers? All right, uh, who are my favorite YouTubers? Well, listen, you guys, if you've watched me for any period of time, you know I'm a big tech guy, I love tech. And so generally speaking, most of my favorite YouTubers are tech-related YouTubers. Like there are a few other ones. Like uh, everybody watches uh, Daily Dose of Internet. I'm I'm pretty. I love watching the Daily Dose of Internet videos. Uh, I really do. But um, you know, I, I love watching MKBHD, Linus Tech Tips, Good Canadian Kid. Actually, most of the best tech YouTubers are. Canadian. So you got uh, Unbox Therapy and Lou Later, like they're Canadian. Um, Linus Tech Tips, Canadian. Um, you know what? I've always said I'm never going to work for somebody else again. I would work for Linus. I would work on Linus Tech Tips. I don't know why. It just seems like a really fun thing to do. But at any rate, uh, so Linus Tech Tips. Uh, I, I'm still, I have been a big fan of Leo Laporte for years. I still continue to be a big fan of Leo Laporte. Uh, and that, so yeah, I, I, Justine is actually really good. I actually found her stuff to be really good and she's also a fabulous editor. So I love hearing that. Um, but you know, one of my favorites lately is actually a guy by the name of Harris Heller. He does a channel called alpha gaming and really he's just a really good YouTuber about YouTubing, particularly focusing on the tech stuff of it. 
And uh, I really, I watch every one of his new videos as well. So if any of you know Harris, let him know that I, I watch his stuff and I'm a big fan. So yeah, those are the ones that I generally really like. Okay. And that'll do it, guys, for this weekend's worth of Ask Me Anything podcast. Thank you guys so much for, for being here and for doing all this and, and for being a part of our of our network and our community. It is um, just amazing. And, and to be able to do the things that we're doing right now, it's all thanks to you. And oh, gosh, guys, seriously, thank you so much. Anyway, uh, heading back to... Um, heading back to uh, Riverside tomorrow. Oh, I should let you know in case you don't know. Um, even though the movie's not going to be opening big, we're going to do an open spoiler discussion for Ghostbusters Afterlife tomorrow. I believe we're going to do it at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So Ghostbusters Afterlife, 4 p.m., open spoiler discussion tomorrow. Keep your eyes open for it, and we hope you'll join us for that. And then, of course, the John Campus Show returns on Monday, and we can't wait to see you guys then. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends... Bye-bye.